Good morning. Let's uh, hear the word of the Lord together. Um, and it's headed, Jesus calms the storm. Mark 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Amen. Thanks, Brian. Very familiar little story. Um, There's always little clues when you read a Bible passage, though, about the context. It it begins to say here, that day when evening came. And what that should uh, set in us when we hear that that day when evening came is that it reminds us that this little passage doesn't sit on its own. It's part of the story of Mark's gospel. And that's why I've been saying to you, please take the time and read Mark's gospel because the things begin to make sense when you see just what's happening. Because it was a very busy day that Mark's talking about. They had been doing all sorts of things, teaching, preaching. Jesus had just told a whole lot of parables and uh, at the, at the end, the people were confused, and, and it simply says Jesus went and began to teach his disciples privately what the real meaning was. But then they got into that boat. And I wonder as they got into that boat, the disciples were thinking, this is great. We're away from the crowds. We're away from all the stuff we've been doing today. It's been a really, really busy few days for them. And there they were with Jesus in the boat, maybe thinking, we'll crack open some beers and have a nice cruise here. And it'd just be a bit of relaxing, chill time. And actually, as we, as we go through the Gospels, we do find that Jesus does take his disciples away sometimes to quiet places because it's chill time. And that's a reminder for us as Christians. Sometimes we see the Christian life as doing things and going to meetings. Coming to church, getting involved in activities, serving God. But actually, it's also important that sometimes we just loiter with Jesus. Just hang out. And that's probably what they did in the first part of that trip. This is like, you know, it's the the service and the work is over and we're having coffee in the back room and we're just hanging out together as God's people. And there, Jesus falls asleep. And then suddenly, there's a storm. It says that was a great windstorm, a furious squall. 
The water's coming over the side of the boat. And Galilee is actually very famous even to this day for sudden storms brewing up. And this is different because it's quite intense. And these mariners, these fishermen are, are scared. And I wonder, as that begins to happen, what's going through their heads? You know, you've gone out for this nice cruise and suddenly everything's gone pear-shaped. And you'll know that feeling in life where you've started off something that's going to be really calm, not stressful, and suddenly everything goes wrong. And it might be the disciples are, are beginning to look at each other as the waves get high. Whose who's flipping idea was this? Going for a nice cruise in a day. We could have, you know, what, what, who got us into this mess? And then, oh, right, it was Jesus. What was he thinking of? Taking it for us a cruise. And after all, he's the Messiah. He's got the prophetic word. Um, when he said, let's go to the other side, let's get into the boat, did he, did he not know what was going to happen? You know, was, was, is Jesus, he's great at many things, the teaching, the preaching, the, the, the feeding people, the, 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 the miracles, but he's obviously not very good at weather forecasting as, as we get into the boat. And you can see perhaps the stress levels beginning to run. But then a thought. The passage begins with Jesus saying, let us go to the other side. Jesus very deliberately has put them on a boat in a storm. You know, sometimes people will say to you, and you may have heard folks saying this, you know, you religious people, it's all right for you. Your religion helps you get through the troubles in life. Some folks say religion is just a crutch to get you through things, to support you. But actually, when you begin to read the Bible, you realize that's not what it says at all. In fact, quite the opposite. When you hang out with Jesus, you end up in trouble. And in fact, if you think about the whole of the Gospel of Mark, these people are told to follow him. And it's not that, oh, you've got tough lives. Come away, get a wee bit of religion with me, and life will be easier. It's actually the opposite. Come and follow me, and we will go on this journey, which will end up going to the cross. They've already had people leaving them and people abusing them. If I can have a screen. You know, back in the third century, a chap called Tertullian looked at this passage. And he said this of the little boat. The little boat, the little ship, is the church. She's disquieted in the sea. That's the world. When the waves, the persecutions and the temptations, and the Lord through patience seems to be sleeping until aroused by their last extremities, by the prayers of the saints, He checks the world and restores tranquility. So here's the thought. That actually, if you follow Jesus, if you're part of the church, you will end up in hot places. You will end up in places where people laugh, reject. You will end up in places that are really hard. And those storms, Tertullian is suggesting, are the things that threaten society. And he lived at a time that the church was being actively persecuted for three centuries. And in that place... The disciples don't know just tranquility to start with. They know doubt and fear and uncertainty. 
and they have to learn what it is to trust Jesus. That, in one sense, is what this whole passage says to us. It says to us, ultimately, it's not about escaping storms or or finding tranquil seas. It's about learning to trust Jesus through all the fear that we have, through all the difficulties that we have, through all the sense of inadequacies that we have. You know, when I was young in in, in going to summer missions, there was a, a song which I suspect is a lot older than me which used to say, with Jesus in the boat, I can smile at the storm. Did anyone get that in Sunday school? No, nobody. But it was a little ditty, one of these little Sunday school stories, Jesus in the boat, I can smile at the storm. And it was really saying, you know, if I know Jesus, everything will be fine. And and the more I looked at that chorus, though, I did, you know, I think, actually, that's not true. That's not what the disciples found at all. The disciples were terrified in that. And it wasn't, oh, Jesus is in the boat. That's fine. I, the storm's there. I can smile. It's, it's great. It was Jesus is in the boat, and he doesn't seem to be doing anything. It's absolutely dreadful. And it was actually two problems for them. One was the terror of the sea outside, and the other was, we've got Jesus. He's the answer. He's the Messiah, but he doesn't seem to be delivering. And actually, when suffering comes for Christians, that's the double problem we've got. We've got the same trouble that everybody else has got, and it's not that we smile at the storm because Jesus is there. It's actually sometimes we have bigger questions because we believe in Jesus. And where is he? What is he doing in all of this? And in fact, the disciples are a little bit worried that their Jesus will drown with them. Of course, they don't want a Jesus that will drown with them. They want a Jesus who will deliver them but he will only do that in the end of the gospel by drowning for them at the cross. The turning point here is where they wake him up with those words, teacher, don't you care? And those words, in a sense, are often the words of prayer of the church, aren't they? Lord, where are you? God, why are you letting this happen? Read the Psalms, you'll find that time and time again. Where are you? Why is your church so weak today? Why are we in this mess? Why don't people believe? Where are the people? Where are the children? All these questions that we have. Where are you, Lord? Why don't you act? It's the deepest, longest prayer, shortest prayer, rather, in the whole of Scripture. But it is a prayer. And here's the thing. Nothing changes until they scream that. And I'd want to say to us as a church today, nothing will change until we start calling out to God and saying, where are you? We need you. If we are to move forward as a church, if we are to move forward in our own Christian lives, it has to start on the knees in the prayers of desperation. Where are you? Why do you seem to be asleep? And Jesus answers the call with a word that brings calm to the sea. Then he says something that's a bit strange. He says, he rebukes them. Why did he have so little faith? But he, you can look at that and wonder, why does he say that? Why do you have so little faith? Maybe here is the answer. He began by saying, 
let us go to the other side. When God says, let this happen, it is going to happen. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be a day, and there was a day. And here is God Almighty saying, let us go to the other side. Well, one thing is certain, they are going to the other side. But sometimes it is in seeing that Word of God. And they are left asking the question, who is that even the wind and the waves obey Him? Now, here's another thought. If you'd read this with the passage before, Jesus gives a whole lot of parables, and the people don't understand them, and it says He taught them privately what the real meaning was. The interesting thing is Mark doesn't record that teaching, so we don't get the real meaning. He just says next, Jesus told them to get into a boat. Now, it might be that Jesus, before He fell asleep, was telling them the real meaning, but it might be something else, that actually you don't get the real meaning by a sermon or an explanation, or someone explaining everything to you. You get the real meaning when you get into the boat with Jesus, and you go into the troubled places. If I asked you to think of the Christians that had most inspired you, most encouraged you, maybe famous Christians, but maybe just people you've known, I think you would often find that they are the people who have been through the most in terms of those storms. Jesus with us in the boat. Before we consider the other passage, let's sing again, shall we? And we're going to sing, How Firm a Foundation, Ye Saints of the Lord. Let's read the second part um, of our <coughs> work today, of God's work today, um, and it's entitled, The Healing of a Demon-Possessed Man. Chapter, Mark chapter 5 verse 1 through to 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerenese. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. 
Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Amen. Thanks, Brian. This could have been a, a, another sermon for another week, but again, back to Mark's gospel, this happens on the same day, right away. They go across the lake, they're at the other side. You know, here's the thing. When you go on a transport, you know, if you go to a theme park and you, you go on a train you go on a train and it goes round in a circle and you get off the train again and you're right back where you started. Or, or you go on a ride, it's maybe a wee car ride or whatever else it is and it spins around a few times and then it comes back where, where it started. But you see, that's not normal. Because normally when you get on a, an item of travel, you get off somewhere different, don't you? The, the purpose of a ride is usually to get somewhere. It's not just to have a ride. You, you might go on a, on a road trip where you, you sort of drive around and, and, and enjoy the ride and then come back home. But normally, you set off on a journey, you, you go somewhere. And, and that's what's happening here. Jesus said at the beginning of the first passage, let us go to the other side. And we look at the journey story, which is what happens in the boat, and then we might think, oh, well, that was interesting. But actually, he started off by saying, let us go to the other side. So let's go with the disciples and find out what happens when they get to the other side. Now, a little bit of geography about what the other side meant, because it, it, it's quite a good expression for what they actually found in the other side, because the other side was entirely different. They had gone from one bank of Galilee, west bank of Galilee, which was where the disciples had grown up where the fishermen fished, where Capernaum was, Peter's hometown, Nazareth was not that far from there. And they've crossed over to the east bank of Galilee. And it was known at the time as the Decapolis, 
which is a, a Greek term. It just means the ten cities. But the Greeks, a clue. This is not Jewish territory anymore. It's full of Gentiles that have settled there. It's full of pagan people doing pagan things. And you, if you didn't know that, then you might have got the hint that there's a huge big herd of pigs there. And if you know anything about Judaism, you know that Jews don't do pigs. There's pigs there. And there's other strange things that are in that place. It's got Greek names and pigs and very unfriendly citizens. And that's before we come to the demons and all the things that are are obviously wrong in that place. These citizens who are actually in the end of the day more concerned about the pigs than the other man. So it tells you that this is a weird place. I've got that image of, uh, you know, when you watch uh, a science fiction movie uh, like or, or, or Star Trek and the, the little crew beam down to the alien planet and sort of look round. That's what's going on here. These are people, Jewish people, who are in an alien place. Now, we might see that in some ways like missionaries going into a strange culture, although for us, actually, the opposite has happened. It's the culture around us that suddenly, over the last couple of generations, become a very strange place for Christians. Alien, different. The values are all uncomfortable. You see, when Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to the other side, he really meant it. Let us go to that weird, hostile place over there where the demons reign, where things are all wrong. And the first thing we notice about this is that Jesus goes there. We might have said, let's stay well clear of there. That's not where Christians are going to feel comfortable. But he goes there. And the first thing we see here is there are no no no-go areas for Jesus. He's going to lead his people into hostile areas, into places that are difficult. The mission isn't just to their own hometowns, to their own home people, to the people who read the same Bible that they read, the people that have the same underlying values, that pray to the same God. No, it's to all people. There are no no no-go areas with Jesus. And yet, we have in our lives no-go areas. We've got places where we are quite comfortable with God. Come to church, do church things, sing the songs, praise God, pray in that place. And we have parts even of our own lives which are sort of no-go areas. Don't get involved in my professional life. Don't get involved in parts of my family. And we've got relationships with people where we don't bring God into them at all. We don't even pray anymore. We just think those people aren't God people. We wish they were, but they're not, and that's the end of it. They're left on the other side from where our faith is and where we think our God is. But you see, the whole thing of the gospel is there's no limits, are there? Jesus goes to the fishermen, the tax collectors, the adulterers, the religious leaders, the Roman governors, the housewives, the rich men, the poor widows, the soldiers, the sick girl, the traitor, the lawyer, the paralyzed man, the blind man, the bride and the groom, the foreign woman, the thief on the cross. He just keeps crossing those boundaries. There are no good people. There are no people off bounds. You know, one of the things about the Bible is that God has a go-to heart, a missionary heart. Right at the beginning of the the Bible itself, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve sin, rebel against God, and in shame, they hide. What is the first thing that God says to the broken people? Adam, where are you? I'm coming to find you. I'm going to reach out to you. 
There's no no go areas for God. In fact, the whole of the gospel can be summed up that way. The incarnation itself. It's almost like an invasion force, an incursion into hostile territory, just like the Allies uh, in, in, in 1944, 45, when they, when, they, when they came across into the hostile Axis territory on the beaches of France. They came into a hostile land and they came to claim it. They came to claim it. That's why we pray, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we pray that every week. We listen to what we're praying. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven does not mean let our church be heavenly, our worship be heavenly. Let parts of my life that I come to you in prayer be heavenly. It means let the whole earth resound with your kingdom, Lord. Every single part of it, the politics, the economics, the groups that we go to, the education, the schools, everything, we're claiming it for the Lord Jesus. And that's why the church is involved in every part of life. It's not just an organization to run services on Sunday to give us the comfort that helps us through life. It's an organization that has to engage in community, has to engage in politics, has to engage in economics, has to do something about social injustice. Because we are in every part of life, wherever we go, in the name of the Lord Jesus, in hostile territory to reclaim it in His name. And sometimes the church forgets that. It looks at the hostile territory and it thinks... Can we persuade this territory to respect our Christian rights and not hurt us? That's not the gospel. The gospel is, can we go into this hostile territory and bless it in the name of the God who created it and made it and loved it and reaches out with his missionary heart? That is the confidence that we should have in the name of the one who, still, who, who, who calms the storms. Now, we could have another whole sermon here about what this demonic um, thing means, and and I've preached on that before, but I'm I'm not going to do that just now, just to summarize two things. First of all, the demonic isn't a huge theme in the Bible, so we don't need to get too obsessed with it, but the key thing is that every time it's mentioned in the supernatural evils in Old and New Testament, it's mentioned for one purpose, and that is to say that the power of Jesus smashes it every single time. The man here is described as being in an unclean spirit. He's trapped by evil. And it reminds us that actually, you know, the evil that Jesus came to deal with wasn't just the bad things that we choose to do that need to be forgiven. It was the fact that we live in a world where we don't have choices, a world that restricts us, that bends to evil, evil structures and evil injustices and all the things that are in the world, whether supernatural or not. And the clear message of the Bible is that Jesus comes to transform them. Just like he calmed the storm of the sea, he comes to calm the madness of this man's mind and bring harmony where there has been no harmony. And that's why the gospel and the mission of the church cannot just be about come to Jesus and have your sins forgiven. It is that. No eternal life. But it's also a message about dealing with the evils that take away people's choices. Supernatural and natural. Whatever they may be. The power of Jesus coming in all those places. The demon says 
to Jesus, what have you got to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? And what the demon is saying here is this. This guy's mine. I've got him. This area is mine. What are you doing here? But how does the story end? Jesus says, no, this one is mine. And you have no power here. And the man is restored and healed. But it doesn't stop there. Because just like the disciples went on a journey that was to go to a place that was to achieve something, so the man himself is renewed to do something. The man says, well, look, I'll, I'll go with you now. I'll go out of this mad culture and I'll come back to the Jesus side of the, the lake and I'll be comfortable there. And Jesus says, no. I've changed and transformed you that you might have a purpose, that you might in this place be a testimony to the power of God. There is purpose for this man's life as well, and that for us. Sometimes we think that our faith has only got to do with the boat. Jesus is there. I need to work out who he is. I need to work out how I get through suffering with him. I need to believe in him, and he is my savior. That's it. But Jesus is taking us on a journey. Just like he said to the disciples at the beginning, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It was for a purpose. It was to go somewhere. And that's why these two stories belong together because it's reminding us that Jesus takes us somewhere in order that something might be transformed. So, today, as we look for the one who leads us forward, let's remind ourselves of his power, not just to save us and change us, but to involve us in this work that he is doing where there are no no-go areas and there are no people beyond it because this is the Lord who reigns over the storm and the winds and the rain and all obey him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and we thank you for the good news that we have received, that we are yours and we are secure. And because of what Jesus has done, we are forgiven and set free and promised eternal life. You with us in our suffering and you with us and loving us and holding us to the end. We thank you and praise you for that. But we praise you for more than that, that you have a missional heart to change this world. And we pray as a church we would understand that, that we are not just here to be the church, but we are here for a purpose. Oh Lord, renew our confidence in you that we might call out to you, that we might learn to really seek your presence and to see this world transformed. And so, Lord, we pray for those things that you are involved in, even when we don't see the answers. We pray and cry out to you for peace in our broken, warring world, for Ukraine, for Israel, for Palestine, for reconciliation. We pray for our whole society, our schools, our workplaces, 
our industrial relations. And everywhere where there seems to be people, or Lord, all the time, who may be doing good things, but have forgotten or never known why they were made and whose purposes all of this was for. Oh Lord, renew our confidence to share this good news and to see this world transformed, that your will might be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.